Last week, Pastor Andrew helped us realign our perspective using the word. We learned that when we give the word of God our daily attention, it transforms our mind. So we started with a new heart and then a new mind, and now we can have new focus. So we prepared our heart to receive his purpose. We set our mind on the word, and now we can begin to shift our focus in all areas of our life to him specifically. So our main scripture that we're going to focus on today is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Now, I would suggest looking this up if you can, because we're going to be going back to it over and over again through this message. Now, let me tell you, I absolutely love the Amplified Version of the Bible. And I think that it does a great job uh, explaining the context of the original Hebrew terminology. Uh, Pastor David told me he enjoys it as well, but he had a little bit of wisdom when he told me that because he said he chooses not to use it so often in his sermons. And the reason is, is because it is a very wordy translation. Like it extends out the verses longer than they necessarily need to be. But thinking nothing of that, I just decided I was going to use the amplified version. And so that's what we have today. So when I put the scripture reference in my notes, you, you know, this is actually really funny. Microsoft Word gave me a blue line under the first, uh, the first sentence. And so when I clicked on it, it said, it literally said this, I kid you not, more concise language would benefit your readers. <laughs> it was just like a slap in the face. I was like, I'm stubborn enough that I can just click ignore. So I clicked ignore, and we are going to use the amplified version today. So are you ready for the not so concise, but very accurate reading of the word? All right, good. So chapter 18, starting at verse one. Now Jesus was telling the disciples a parable to make the point that at all times they ought to pray and not give up and lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and had no respect for man. There was a desperate widow in that city and she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. For a time he would not, but later he said to himself, even though I do not fear God, nor respect man. Yet because this widow continues to bother me, I will give her justice and legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will be an intolerable annoyance and she will wear me out. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not our just God defend and avenge his elect, his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? I tell you that he will defend and avenge them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith? Let's pray real quick. Father, we come to you today with open hearts and ready minds to align our undivided attention and our focus on you specifically. Help us to receive that new focus and to approach you in all things, in all parts of our lives. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me and that anyone who hears this would receive something this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to start with something that everybody can relate to. So you're going through your day, minding your own business, taking care of your responsibilities, you're probably at work or school, when suddenly, insert new problem here. And now you have something that you have to fix, and you have no idea what the first step is. Your car breaks, a new allergy, bank account alert, tax deadlines, COVID for the fifth time, Susie randomly just decked a kid, you only have these light bulbs, they're out of your hair gel again, that might be projecting, they're out of your hair gel again, you have a new skin rash, how far away are we, the dog snoring is starting to bother me, well, what time is it? You know, when you have a problem, where do you go to find an answer? 
It's not rhetorical. Where do you go? If I need to figure out how far away I am from something, I'm going to look at my phone, right? Google takes top priority in today's world. You can find out so much information with just a simple question. You can find out that maybe you shouldn't use those light bulbs. They might explode. They can suspend my child, apparently. Hair gel has two-day shipping, so we're good there. <laughs> there are no CPAPs for dogs, unfortunately. And you could tell your wife, you know, hey, honey, we can take this really sketchy mountain pass, and Google says we'll be there before they close, and I need that cortisone for my rash. So the fact is, is that Google provides so many answers to us, and it's our go-to. But the reality is, Google can't save your marriage. Google can't heal your heart. Google can't protect your family. It doesn't provide for your children. Google itself doesn't give you a job, nor does it provide for you in a financial pinch. Honestly, Google can't help us in some of the most desperate moments that we face. But what if going to God was as second nature as going to Google? What if going to God was as second nature as going to Google? If we have faith that all things are possible with God, shouldn't he have been our first thought? And you may say, well, God provided me with this phone. Yes, God can provide answers and options with the tools he has given you. But what if our first initial response was instead of going to our phone to bow our heads? We need a shift in focus. We need something that we can do any point in the day to shift our focus to him. And we have that. We just don't utilize it as often as we should. It's called prayer. Prayer is directly focused on God. With all the distractions in our lives, it's so easy to go a large portion of the day and never spend a moment in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. And honestly, for some of us, if we swapped our Google time with prayer time, then we might already be there, right? I mean, I was looking back through my history on my phone the other day because I needed a link for a document that I had to sign. And I was astounded by how many like random bits of information I Google every single day. I mean, apparently I don't know anything. I have to, I rely on it so much. <laughs> hey, now, <laughs> that's my wife. Um, but honestly, with all the things that I Google, with how many times I scroll through there, you know, there'd be like 20 or 30 things that I've clicked on in the day, but there's infinitely more opportunities for me to have spent time in prayer. There's always something small to pray about. There's always like, Lord, help me get there on time. Lord, let me do this. Let, keep, give me a good attitude while I'm driving. Every step of our day, there's something we could be praying about. My phone has a battery. It has a time limit. And eventually, it's not going to turn on again, and I'm going to end up getting rid of it. But God is everlasting. My God is eternal. The gift he gives is unending. So we should pray without ceasing. That should be the focus that we strive for. So today, we're going to renew our understanding of prayer to embolden us, to shift the focus to God in all aspects, in all moments of our life that we can. So here comes the first point, and I'm actually going to take a sip of drink because my throat is really dry. So prayer is powerful when we understand God. Part of understanding God is knowing that he is for us and not against us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So not only does, is God able, but he also has a desire to be the one to meet the need for us. Like That's important. For that to happen, though, we need to be praying. I mean, Jesus even tells us in Matthew 7 that he loves to give good gifts. So we should be praying for that. 
In the passage from Luke that we read at the beginning, Jesus describes a wicked judge being beseeched by the woman's request. And the wicked judge stands in a very high contrast to the judge that we serve, to the judge that we beseech, right? Because God is totally different from a wicked judge. He's a righteous judge. He's the good judge. He's the gracious judge. Because if the, and this is really important when we're talking about grace, because how much more likely are we to receive that grace from him than from a wicked judge? The widow received what she was needing, so we should be able to as well. So we need to pray for it in the same manner that she did. First, as a righteous judge, we need to understand God is gracious and kind. In Exodus 36, God has instructed the building of the tabernacle. Now, the Israelites have brought more than enough material for the project, though. You see, Moses actually had to tell them to stop because there was so much abundance. There was a sacrifice that had to be made for this material. Where did it come from? It came from the people. So they brought it in, and because of their obedience, there was an abundance. And so God, being the good and gracious judge that he is, he recognized their need for those materials, for what remained. And so Moses told them to retain the abundance because he recognized that they needed it. And in the same, in the same book in Exodus, how many times did God show them grace? I mean, Israel chose to doubt God and actually rebel against Moses seven times just in the wilderness. But God still kept his promise to them. God still kept his promise to their children. He brought them to the promised land. The truth is what we do does not diminish what he can do. People have a tendency to sit in the shame of the decisions that they've made and to sit in it for a long period of time. But what we as redeemed children of God understand is that our dirt does not besmudge his grace. It doesn't. What we do does not affect what he can do. So secondly, as a righteous judge, we understand that he is a good father. Romans 5, 8 says, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if your mama told you that you're perfect, unfortunately, she lied, obviously. (laughs) Sorry, that sounded bad. But we obviously all have sin. That sin separated us from the Father. But my dad made a way for me. Your dad made a way for you. Some of you know that I have a little bit of a a, a rough childhood, just a lot of stuff that happened when I was young. And I don't have time to go into all of it today, but my stepdad had a decision to make when I was seven years old. You see, he'd only been married to my mom for a couple years, less than that, actually, up until that point. And that year, my mom died of leukemia, and he had to choose to keep me. He chose me. My grandparents were ready to take me in. They thought that's what was going to have to happen. But he said, no. He said, he's my son. He chose me. Don't take for granted a father that chooses you. It's so sad to see that. Our Father chooses us. He chose you. And he proves his love by the lengths that he goes to keep us. Because as humanity, our sin has literally cut us off. But he still made a way to go back to him. And the third thing to understand is that as a righteous judge, he has the ultimate say. If you'll go with me to Luke chapter 7, there's something very important that happens. And I want to start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. 
There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal this servant. When they came to Jesus, they they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The crazy thing about this passage is that Jesus never actually speaks to the centurion. He never even sees the servant. He doesn't even go to the house. Now, I know y'all definitely, a lot of you know that I am a bit of a nerd sometimes. I absolutely love superheroes, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, all of that, right? I love it. I bet you never guessed that about me. So to know that the laws of space and time, that sounds really nerdy, to know that the laws of space and time have no, are just inconsequential to God, that makes me really happy. That's like the ultimate superpower. It means he can do whatever he wants. He can do anything. He can make anything happen. It doesn't matter what we think should happen. It doesn't matter what we believe, how things work. Space and time doesn't matter to him. He can make it happen. Don't let failing to grasp his authority be the thing that keeps you from seeing a victory. We serve a God that is capable of all things. It can be the difference in praying for the doctors or praying for a supernatural healing in the patient. If you limit your prayer or if you limit your faith, you're going to end up limiting your prayer. And if you limit your prayer, you're limiting your outcome. He has the ultimate say, and it's about time we started praying like it. When David was given victory over Goliath, it wasn't partial. David ended up cutting his head off. And the thing about having a headless enemy is that they don't really attack anymore. So if you're going to pray for deliverance, pray for the full deliverance. Don't pray for partial deliverance because he's able. An enemy without a head won't attack you anymore. So pray for your enemy to be at such a state that they they, they stop their attack. It does not continue. Understanding his authority should motivate us to go to our limitless father for whatever we need. My second main point today is prayer is powerful when we understand persistence. Again, going back to the main passage in Luke, the woman is persistent with her request. She brings it again and again. But notice that the parable doesn't provide details about how she pleaded. Jesus specifically said in verse three, there was a desperate woman in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. And that's all we know about her is that she was consistently approaching the judge with this same phrase, give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. Jesus doesn't tell us how she pleaded, how she stayed for hours crying and and, and just pleading her case in the court. He says that she was desperate, but in her desperation, how much strength did she put into it, into her case? How much did she, did she push to have what she needed? 
The reason he doesn't, I think, is because she had no authority in the court. All the authority was the judge's. And so when she would bring her need, when she would come and she would present it, she didn't present it with strength because she was waiting for the strength to come and meet her need. It was strength that she did not possess, strength she didn't have. The strength of her argument wasn't nearly as important as her persistence because the strength did not come from her. It would not come from her. When we pray God has the authority and we know he loves to give good gifts, it's not a struggle of power or will. It's persisting through and trusting that in his time, he is going to deliver us. And you may say, well, I thought real faith would be praying for something and just expecting that it's taken care of. Well, this scripture is straight from Jesus. And we need to understand the importance of the persistence part. Yes, you can stand on the word of God and believe in your breakthrough. But Jesus specifically said in verse seven, and will not our just God defend and avenge his elect, his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? I tell you, he will defend and avenge them quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth? He ties faith with persistence. Because if you didn't believe the promise, then why on earth would you spend time praying for it? There's a reason why you pray. Stop trying to show faith and just live like you believe. Always pray and never give up. Be persistent with your requests. The judge didn't, uh, uh, he didn't approve the, the justice or the legal protection the first time, the second time, the third time. From what we understand, she came multiple times, nagging him over and over again, requesting repeatedly. But because of her persistence, the judge ruled in her favor. How much more quickly will a good judge rule for us in our favor, especially if he sees that kind of faith, which he has commanded Jesus said he will defend and avenge us quickly. But guess what? That may not be the first few times that we pray. You might have to spend a little bit of extra time in prayer out of faith, right? Pray until you receive. When Goliath challenged the armies of Israel, he tormented them for 40 days. That's 40 days of lives on the line. 40 days of seeing your comrades die. He killed challengers, mocked God, taunted King Saul. And there was 40 days of them just pleading for, for deliverance. And it doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter if it's a giant. It doesn't matter if it's an army. It doesn't matter if it's something small. Be persistent. That's the model. And my final point this morning is prayer is powerful when we understand our position. Tax season's right around the corner, and every time I do our taxes, I'm astounded by how much money we end up paying out of our income every year. It's kind of ridiculous. It feels, it feels like it's a lot, but I don't have a choice in that. And then the money that we spend is taxed. Everything we buy is taxed. Our property is taxed, right? And then every service that you pay for, that becomes taxed as well. But the day that I decide not to pay my taxes, the day that I think I'm in the position where I can do that, that's the day the IRS is going to come knocking. I'm not in that position. Position, But Jesus uses a widow who has no son, no husband, and no family that will speak for her to the, to the judge. She represents a powerless position, especially in comparison with the judge. But when we come to God, we're not in a powerless position. Because authority is given to the children of the king. Authority is given to us. 
For the parents in the room, do you love your child any less when they ask for something for the fourth or fifth time? No, you don't love them any less. Sure, you can be a little annoyed and you can tell them, if you ask again, you're never gonna get it, right? When I, was, when I was little, we would go to the store all the time and I would always, without fail, ask for candy. And sometimes it was a baby bottle pop. Sometimes it would be a fun dip. Um, my actual favorite, which still like my favorite to this day, is a nerd's rope. Absolutely love a nerd's rope. But back then, my favorite was a juicy drop pop. And I would always ask for one. I would always say, mom, can I have? And she would just know exactly what I was asking for. She'd say no. But every now and then, she would say yes. Because I, I was persistent. I kept asking. And I knew she wouldn't disown me or leave me at the store out of anger. We are children of God. When we ask for things, he isn't going to disown us either. And at some point, he's going to provide it. Hebrews 4.16 says, let, there, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Unlike the widow, we have a position of importance. We bring that into the court. And as heirs to the kingdom, we have a right to approach the throne boldly. Our case is significantly more hopeful than hers was. The position we're in gives us the confidence to request what we need again and again and again. And we know that when he does provide it, when he does meet the need, it's going to be with the love that we that he has for us. When we begin to incorporate these points into how we pray, it becomes a lifeline. If we see prayer as an obligation, then we're failing to live by faith. Because the truth is, if he's our deliverer, then we pray out of necessity. We pray out of need, not obligation. It should never be obligation. You should see it as something that needs to be done. And it needs to be done often. Sometimes it's not a giant standing in front of you. Sometimes it's something small. Sometimes you need to take a second and pray for something in your day. There's countless opportunities for us to pray considering how many worries we carry around with us. I mean, when our families walk out the front door, they take a risk when they go to school and go to work. I mean, the world is becoming progressively more and more evil and we can't figure out something to pray for. That's sad. As a church, we should be focused on prayer. We seek to make a difference in Franklin. We seek to be a beacon for the lost, a beacon for the unchurched, right? Well, there is spiritual warfare being fought over hearts and minds and over families that might be lost. We have so much we got to pray for. We have so much to pray for in here, corporately and individually. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, in, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So verse 6 starts out by saying, do not be anxious. Why? Because your father is good. In every situation, that means the big stuff and the small stuff. By prayer and petition, be persistent. That's being persistent. With thanksgiving, it's understanding what he's already done and who he is. Because who he is is what he's going to do. Present your request. It's understanding our place of authority to be able to ask, to be able to request. These understandings take our prayer to a different level. Focus in prayer becomes more directional, more, more focused on him specifically. And new habits can be formed. 
And if you wanna apply this to your prayer, if you feel like beseeching the king, we're gonna have the opportunity at the end here. We don't address this enough, church, but there is a real enemy and he is trying to orchestrate your downfall. This month has been attack after attack on my house, but God is greater. He's so much greater because in divine intervention, Pastor David assigned this topic to me when I needed it most. When I prayed for relief, when I prayed for strength, God provided a word that emboldened me and released my anxiety. And I needed that so much. He answered my prayer already. My focus has been renewed and the downfall that was created for me has become a stepping stone for me to enter into a different season. I want that for you. I want that in your prayer. I want you to be emboldened. We're going to open the altar and I want anyone who is comfortable with it, anyone who's able to, to come forward. Because if you're not being tested right now, it's coming. If you're going to be a part of what we're doing here in this city, you're going to be under attack. It's going to happen, unfortunately. But I call for defense over our homes and our children. I want defenders praying. I call for an offensive attack against the enemy. I want prayer warriors. I call for a spirit empowerment among the congregation. I want the spirit field to come forward and pray. And we're going to spend some of that time. We're going to dim the lights. We're going to worship for just a moment because I want us corporately to pray for the things that this city needs and the things that this church needs.